Hey, Film Files. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randall. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. Tonight was our second week of Film Roulette, as Ben lovingly called it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we landed on Full Metal Jacket, 1987. Which is pretty much, I mean, we should have probably done a comparison episode between this and The Room because they're pretty much the same film, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. They yeah. obviously got, Tommy, he got his inspiration from he, You could tell he's a huge Cooper fan just by those shots and his his genius, obviously. Yeah. Um, it had been a couple right. years since I had seen this movie. Not my favorite war film, not my favorite Kubrick film, but it's it's good. It's entertaining. Now, historically accurate, probably not. I know Marine Corps wise, it's it, you know it was well blown out of proportion as far as you know the the basic training and everything goes. It, they were abused, they were used, that everything else, but nothing to that point. Yeah, nothing to that point. I mean, yeah, I mean. Let's be honest. I'm not even sure they would have let, uh, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio's character into the military, regardless of how desperate they were for warm bodies. He's obviously developmentally disabled in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Plus he, you're had talking... to have been, he had to have been right on the cusp of that, you know, the intellectual the line, the psychological profile for, you know, somebody to be in the Marine Corps, let alone in the military at all. Yeah, so. that's what I was going to say is that, how did this guy who's, you know, horribly out of shape and not mentally capable thrown into a Marine Corps training camp? I know it's suspension of disbelief, right? Yeah, so but, I can I can I can do that. But still when you have a movie that does feature, you know, for the most part what's supposed to be ultra realistic narrative and special effects, you kind of you know, cast that doubt throw it aside a little bit and you think well i i realize why they put this guy in here to make a point but it's it's not realistic that's that's my main gripe even though i really do love this film i still have gripes with it like that one well yeah. it's like we've talked about other directors of this caliber where if you have the credentials like stanley kubrick you're going to be held to a higher regard and people are going to be more critical with these you know with these, especially the characters, you know, this time watching it, I was trying to convince myself that D'Onofrio's character, Lawrence, was perfectly capable when he joined, and it was the mental and physical abuse that created that, this demon in him. That broke him finally, you think? Well, but but, but, but I don't think that's true because there's times when, the first time when uh, the gunny approaches, oh, and Arlie Ermey is so good in this. Oh, yeah. He's um, a lot unrealistic, but very good. Yeah, and he he's done interviews where you know he said I was in the military. If a drill sergeant would have ever touched a marine, he would have been out of there out so quick, so fast. But he's got kind of a special. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio has kind of a special needs look on his face, like when he's first approached, uh-huh. which I kind of forgot. Like the little facial expressions that kind of made me realize. No, I don't think he was like you said, Ben. A, a 
psychological yeah, psychological background. Because he, with the way he talks and, like you said, his his facial expressions, a lot of times, and and it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the abuse he takes, but he just has almost a default vacant look on his face for the most part before, during, and after. Yeah. So I don't know if he was just set up there, uh, kind of like. If you go to Slaughterhouse-Five, there's a Billy Pilgrim character, but obviously Slaughterhouse-Five has so much absurdity in it that you understand why there's a Billy Pilgrim character. And this one, you know, Pyle's just kind of there, and he's more of like a, a plot device than a character at some points just because that's the, that's another thing about Kubrick is even though he was obviously a genius, sometimes it's like, uh, you don't really need to hammer us in the forehead with the point you're trying to make. You don't yeah. have to go that far sometimes, you know, which I think he did with Pyle. Well, yeah. he went that far with Pyle, I think, because they wanted, he, I think he really wanted to show at least what people believed was the indoctrination pro- process for the Marine Corps and, and the military in general, but particularly for the Marine Corps in this case. It, it, it's, it's meant to break somebody down to their basic shell and then build them back up again as this killer not a soldier but a killer machine a machine something that's going to go and kill and and we see that process in in lawrence or private pile and and we see that he at the end even even the sergeant you know he finally even says we we finally made a soldier out of you you know he was going to be in a, a rifleman you know and uh it's at that point when you're first watching the movie, you think, "Oh, he's going to make it." Okay, good for him. Now we all know he shouldn't have been a soldier to begin with. I mean, watching the whole process, but again, you almost feel g- glad that he ma- made it, and you almost feel a little bit, you know, excited. What's going to happen next? Are we are they going to throw him right in the jungle? Are we going to get to see him get wasted there, or is he going to go nuts and kill a whole platoon of you know North Vietnamese, or what's going to happen? None of the above, of course, you mm-hmm. know, and spoiler, 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 the freak out in the head where he's, you know, where conveniently the the name of the film comes in as he's, you know, caressing his rifle and no, no, no pun intended. And, uh, you know, and then, then, of course, what happens with he and the sergeant then, so... Kubrick just, does love his phallic imagery. He really likes his orange, phallic let imagery, us know. Yes. He likes yeah. his phallic imagery. I'm whistling while I talk about yeah. Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. You didn't even break wow. once. Now you're a fantastic whistler, Ben. Woo, 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 woo. So I really love. There's three three scenes in the movie where the the first two were in boot camp when one during the soap beating, which I still find pretty hard to watch. That um, is intense, yeah, especially with the when the so music. Intense. Yeah, the okay. So it's that's very like a really dream. It's very. It's a really chilling scene. Uh, that's uh, as far as non-horror scenes that are chilling. This movie has two of them. One being that scene, and then the other being when uh, Pyle eventually offs himself because you don't know if he's just going to go crazy and start taking people out. Oh, well, everybody, right? And they have the same. So the soap beating, and then yeah, the scene in the well, the bathrooms, I guess. Right. But the uh, it had that same blue lighting, and it had that same kind of uh, very heavy shadows. They had that um, that chime that was almost like a metronome that just made it seem almost like too visceral. Um, and then they had the same little chimes at the end with the sniper when they finally <laughs> take out that sniper, which we'll yeah, get to. Yeah, that little doo doo doo. 
that kind of that three tone kind of yeah, it's that, just like a little chime. But there's there's something else that yeah, with there's it, like though. there's like synth there's, part. There's a synth part that goes beneath it. It's it's almost it's almost halfway between a note and a scream, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's and but the chime is definitely there, but it goes together with that other, and it really lends itself to be kind of a creepy. Well, it sets the mood as being just eerie, mm-hmm. just kind of otherworldly almost, you know. And and I think you're right when when you're saying that in, in that, those two particular scenes, it works really, really well. Works really well, especially because if you look at the way that uh, music is used, especially in Kubrick films, that's almost a motif oh, for. Geez, yeah. uh, private jokers in her in her struggle because the first time we hear it he's kind of standing aside and hesitating to hit pile with the soap mm-hmm. and the second time yeah. we hear it, he's standing over the uh the vietnamese sniper who's yep. a female and you can tell he wants to put her out of her misery but he doesn't know if he is really the man for the job so he kind of says to everyone else you know like animal mother hey you know we can't leave her like this and Animal Mother says, okay, go ahead and do it. So you get out. that chilling music, a close-up of uh, of Joker, and he has this just anguished look on his face. And then he finally does the deed, and you can tell he's not like all the other guys because uh, Raptor Man's like, oh, hardcore, we're going to give you a congressional medal. And he's just standing there like, wow, yeah, this is horrible. Yeah, Animal it, Mother is Wonderful, Adam Baldwin. That was. Oh, geez, yeah. This was a this was a breakout film for so many people. Oh, yeah, yeah, for him particularly. I mean, that it just launched him onto the scene. Well, I mean, and I just, just saw Vincent D'Onofrio in Jurassic World, and he uh, was phenomenal. I know. <laughs> One thing I thought to myself is that if uh, if Pyle didn't have his mental issues, if they didn't have the part where he offed himself, it's just like, well, what if he escaped and became. The Kingpin. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Wilson, mm. Wilson Fisk. Even Wilson though the timeline yeah. doesn't really, yeah, the really timeline doesn't, doesn't fit. Yeah, doesn't jive. Because he Daredevil, ages really well, if, he does. if at all. That same year he was in Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's that true, yeah. Remember store? Yeah. <laughs> I he totally gained, forgot about and that. And he gained yeah. 70 pounds for this role. He gained so right. much weight. He, uh, he tore a ligament in his knee. And I was wondering if the scenes where, where Joker's helping him, and helping if him, yeah. they actually needed to do that to film the scene. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's entirely possible. It's pretty amazing that he would go through this rigorous process as this was his first film that he did, that he would lose all the weight. He would, you know, gain all this weight. He would kind of steal the show. And he had, I mean, he was, it was for the first on-screen thing he'd ever done. By it's far, amazing. Mo- by far, he's the most memorable character outside of the sergeant. Mm-hmm. Outside of the drill sergeant, he is the most memorable character. Now, Joker, obviously, is our central character, and we follow his story throughout. But the whole four, 45, first 45 minutes is not about Joker. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about Private Pyle. It's about, you know, Lawrence becoming this this thing that he becomes. And, and he, he finally gets good at something. Yeah. And you think, oh, finally, we've watched this this process all the way through, and he's finally he's finally turned into what we need him to be and that makes that scene in the bathroom just all the more shocking all the more yeah i mean it's just horrific at that point for for everybody involved so and that's the thing yeah. too because you can tell he has something mental going on that he's not quite there that he's a little bit slower but when they've graduated or i should say after they've graduated um and Hartman, the sergeant, is reading off their names, and he's like, pile, pile, and he's just sitting there. It's kind of a different kind of vacant look because he's finally realizing what he's actually going to, mm-hmm. which is probably his death anyway. I, I think, don't know that he's thinking that far ahead. 
Yeah, I don't I know that he's thinking that far ahead. I think in this case, I think I think he has become a creature of now, and everything that's going through his head is everything that's happening now, and it's not a paying attention to the world around him. It's just absorbing everything, and and at that point, he you can see the madness behind his eyes at that point. You can see that there's a breaking point. And and that's when when we do get, you know, flash forward to the to the bathroom scene when he does look up and he does kind of that downward kind of yeah, exactly. and the eyes and the smile and everything. You realize that you first saw that look, a hint of it in that first that scene right before, I think. I mean, that's just me personally, because yeah, well, no, yeah. I was just going to say right after the soap beating is when they cut to that Gunny's shooting lecture, yep. which is really interesting when they're talking about Charles Whitman and Oswald. And the way that he describes what they did, you know, they committed these horrible atrocities and assassinations on these people. But the way that he describes it, he's like, and they got off two head, they scored two headshots, mm-hmm. you know, as if he's um, giving them, you know, a recommendation. And they zoom in on <clears throat> Pyle. Uh-huh. And they do that a couple times. And he's not, he's completely in his own head. I don't think he's really thinking about what lies ahead. I think he's... He's got uh, whether it's anger or just revenge or what, but I don't think he. I think he lacks the cognitive ability to really to really know what lies ahead for him. If he does go to Vietnam, he is cannon fodder. Somebody's going to end up having to take care of him at some point. If he if he doesn't, you know, obviously do what he did. But I I just I, I just don't think that he thought much more than a couple of steps ahead. And when he finally does off the sergeant and and goes off the rail himself and finally kills himself, I think at that point, that's his he, he was almost like a trapped animal. You know, he just didn't he didn't care. He didn't have any feeling whatsoever, even though his face belied a little bit of a lot of craziness. He was an animal that was just cornered no way out boom done and that's the thing too that this film does uh, as far as dehumanizing the characters you get small snippets of their lives uh you know pre-military but it's just like okay so cowboy is from texas okay then that's that's about it that's about where it ends for characters it's pretty much you being thrown in thrown into this situation with them uh, no matter what segment of the film it is whether it's you know the training beforehand or the actual warfare that they're thrown into it's just okay they're thrown into this and it is literally something that turns into a hell because by the end of the film everything's burning and they're just marching through it or by the end of the film, they're actually walking into the end of the war. It is the Tet Offensive. It is the end of our involvement in, in Vietnam at that point. It is Well, it's the beginning of the end of our involvement at that point. And it, it, everything was falling apart. You know, the center was not holding. And, and when they do finally do the, the – when they walk into the city – and I can't remember what the name of the city was to save my life, but that's okay. But when they do finally walk in there – they are not walking into a populated area. They are walking into a, uh, an area that is being occupied by the North Vietnamese. This is a cityscape war zone. This isn't the jungle. This isn't, you know, what we think of Vietnam. I think he says, well, th- wasn't it Joker who said that this is how I envisioned war? Or was that Cowboy who said that? That was Cowboy. Cowboy yeah. who said that. This is yeah. how I envisioned war. This is how I envisioned it, at least that. In, in, but... 
knowing these men grew up with watching movies about World War II, mm-hmm. you know, and and not realistic necessarily in any way, shape, or form, but they grew up with their grandfathers probably or their fathers even who were World War II veterans. And so, you know, again, it's, it's one of those situations where war was a, a lot sterilized in a lot of ways by Hollywood, and then these men are thrown into this absolute worst possible case scenario at the end of this horrible nonsensical war and they don't and and you can tell that just by their very actions that these are not hollywood heroes these are not john wayne storming the the pillbox these are not you know audie murphy doing his hero thing these these men are these men are all almost gomer pile in this or you know private pile in this instance they are just a stone's throw away from crossing that line, and some of them kind of do in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, and the only one, the only one who really seems enthusiastic to be there is Raptor Man, who's seen almost no action, mm-hmm. and who's pretty much yeah, he's a photographer, and he does have his moment where he kills the the sniper, but he pretty much flips out about it, and nobody really cares, and a lot of that's from what Stu alluded to, uh, brought out in those interviews that they have with the soldiers, they're just like, yeah, uh, let me do an LBJ impression. Yeah, I'm not going to send these boys eight to 10,000 miles to do the job that the Vietnamese boys should be doing. Oh, wait, that's where we are. So even with the, the more hardcore characters like Animal Mother, he's just right. like, yeah, I'm doing this for, I guess, Poontang if I'm going to get my um, man regions shot off. Yeah, I, th- I really like the scenes in the um, journalism debriefing room. Oh, yeah, that was hilarious. Awesome, that yeah. almost gave away more information on what sentiment and what attitude was like because, you know, you have this war with these American troops, and a lot of them don't want to be there. A lot of them have no idea why they're there, and a lot of them just have itchy trigger fingers and like the guy on the helicopter. Oh, get some, get yeah. some. Yeah, that was like so, yeah, was that was so terrifying. So hard. He said it like 20 times. It's like, this is all they taught me to say, so I'm just going to keep saying it, just gunning down people like it's target practice. Well, that's what he was doing, basically. Right, right. I mean, you know, and then, you know, when Joker approaches, you know, says, well, have you killed women and children? How do you kill women and children? And he says, you just don't lead them as much. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're fine, you just don't lead them, you know, because they don't move as fast. And, and that was very telling as well. I mean, it's that if, if you want to make a comparison somewhat to the frenetic feelings behind some of these really outrageous characters it's almost like you're looking at um, some of the worst parts of apocalypse now mm-hmm. that descent into madness that that true you know uh true looking at that dark side of human nature and it's so overblown you know that you can't even you can't even imagine that people would actually behave this way and get away with it you know because they run into so many people who are just you know, they're caricatures of themselves, you mm-hmm. know, you have the, you know, the, the black guys who, you know, kind of hang out with themselves and, you know, you have this redneck who animal mother and, you know, he, he just pretends to be a badass or whatever, not pretends he is genuinely, yeah. but, but you know what I mean? And then you've got this, then you've got Joker who is this truly, I think the only one in the, in aside from maybe cowboy at times, truly those two characters were the only ones that I felt were truly there in their right minds for the most part and knew what was actually going on. Now, doesn't mean that they were any better or any worse than anybody else. They were still there. They were still dealing with this just like everybody else. But I think that those two are the two that truly knew 
what they were seeing and what they were being asked and to I do. And I think they kept uh, the parts of themselves that were still, I guess, you could say back home right. more than the other characters. It's just the other characters, what you said, like with the Descent into Madness, with the uh, the gunner and the, the helicopter, um, with these guys who were just, you know, they didn't know what to do, so all they did was they gunned people down and made a mockery of, oh, look, here's a here's a prostitute. All right, I guess this is the only thrill we have. It's just their mind reached a certain point, and no they just kidding. didn't know what to do. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah, I, I, I can never... I personally can never know what it would be like to go into war. I am now too old. They would never take me, and it would take an absolute apocalypse for somebody to hand me a gun and say, here, go fight. But my dad was in Vietnam. My dad was a soldier in Vietnam. My dad was a Marine, is a Marine still. To his very core, he is a Vietnam veteran Marine. And, you know, as I grew up, um, I I kind of kind of saw his difficulty that he had with his time there in war and we've watched these movies together he and I and he cannot stand these movies because they are so beyond what happened on a day-to-day basis there. You know, it's like they cram an entire year into, you know, in, for instance, in Platoon. He's like, yeah, these things did happen within reason, but they're cramming all of this all of the horrible of war of this particular war into one two hour whatever segment you know and and he could never he could he can't separate himself enough to watch these and really truly see i mean he does see that they're awful in that respect you know the i think the only one that he ever uh thought was any good at all was hamburger hill you know, and he said, mm-hmm. yeah, that really truly happened. That taking of that hill, they did do that over and over and over and over again. And then after they took it for the final time, they left it. They just picked up and left it. And so, he, he you know, again, he, all of these movies all came about out about the same time. You know, Apocalypse Now was 1979, mm-hmm. Platoon 1986. Deer Hunter was right around Deer there. Deer Hunter was right around there. Rambo First Blood Part Two. Again, yes, maybe back, not the same caliber. Not the same but... caliber, but then in 1987 saw three movies: Hamburger Hill, Full Metal Jacket, and Good Morning Vietnam. Mm-hmm. All three of these movies came out, and all three obviously about Vietnam or experiences. All three show very different experiences. This movie, Full Metal Jacket, it goes from basic all the way through till the very end of of you know the war, basically. Uh, Hamburger Hill focused on just a couple of months around this one spot of land and jungle. And then, of course, Good Morning Vietnam was a completely different movie. It was, it was a comedy. It was meant to be a comedy, but it was more than that, too. It was very telling drama at times as well because of the, the horrific betrayals that occur in that particular movie. And, of course, you know, Rob, wonderful performance by Robin Williams, probably one of his best performances ever. But I don't know. It, it's one of those situations for me in this, in watching movies like this, is I can never put myself into this frame of mind. I will never know. And those of you who have been to war, those coming back from Afghanistan and from Iraq and, and places distant, I, I, you know, I'm I'm not a flag-waving American by any stand, you know, stretch of the imagination. But anybody who has stood up and fought, I do salute you in this instance because I'll never know, and I yeah. don't know that I would ever be able to, you know, well, to and, do it. Yeah. And so, well, I think that there are a lot a lot of these films are not really aimed at people who have served. Like my my favorite 
war film, I guess, is Jarhead. And I like the idea of following one character because it's like kind of the whole point is to, you know, get you emotionally involved and emotionally invested in these characters because it, it, the, it, the story is going to be more interesting. You're going to be more captivated by the good or the bad things that happen. And Full Metal Jacket, a lot of, like I said, the whole first act is basically dedicated to uh, Pyle. They follow so many characters that by the end, I'm not as emotionally tied to like any one. Sp- I really like Matthew Modine. He's great. Um, and I guess that's who I appreciate the most, um, who I enjoyed watching the most. But you said yeah. so it's... Well, part of the problem, too, I think, is maybe you can use the, the term infamously. But if you look at what Kubrick did with The Shining, The Shining film, Kubrick's The Shining, is much different from the book. So book, yeah. here we have a situation which I've never read the short timers, which Full Metal Jack was based on. But you have to think that Kubrick... And whoever worked on the screenplay probably took a lot of liberties with, you know, these. Oh, without a doubt. These, I think, I think the short timers was maybe a smaller novel, and maybe probably didn't have as much focus on somebody like Pyle and focus, focus, focus on him, and he's failing, and then he's turning it around. I want to say that. If, if I had to guess what the short timers w- was about, it was probably more about their day-to-day experiences and not as glamorized or demonized um, in the way that this film made these Vietnam trainees out to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, it seems like the second act is, goes from graduation day right up until where they all meet up again. And from there on out, I really like the uh, camaraderie between all the characters. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I won't say it's fun, but... I thought it was really well set. I didn't realize this until a couple days ago that Kubrick hated to travel more than 10 miles from his house to film a movie. Oh, you're kidding me. Um, And he kind of comes to any interview, if you've ever seen, he he comes across as an asshole, and I'm sure that he was. I mean, that's why Stephen King hated The Shining, because he completely made it his own story. Right. So, yeah, I think you're completely right, Ben. But So they made this movie in England. Like ten minutes from Kubrick's house, the that city in Vietnam, the whole like yeah, last half yeah, an yeah, hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they built the sets old, and everything. Yeah, it was, it was this old gas works town called Beckton in South England, and it was oh, wow. scheduled for demolition. So they were like, blow it, blow it to shit. I don't care. Yeah, but um, that's a pretty awesome choice because it looked amazing. It looked. It really did look amazing, especially yeah. the streets during the day with the hookers and. That famous "Me love you long time." Oh yeah, which I got so tired of hearing oh, in every nineties. So <laughs> me, me so horny. Me um, love you long time. Two live, two live crew made yeah, at yeah, least exactly. a short career yeah. out of that. No kidding. That's what no I was kidding. Yep. Yeah, that was two live crew. Yep. Yeah, that that and <laughs> let's let's talk about this for just a minute because there are some relatively entertaining moments in this film that oh, were yeah. laugh out loud entertaining. That particular scene where the, the the prostitute approaches them at the at the street corner, the you know Raptor Man and and uh, and Joker there on the street corner, five dollars or whatever it was. Five dollars make you holla. Five dollars make you holla, right or whatever. And then he gets ripped off. The, the camera gets stolen, but he has to. You have to wonder if that wasn't a setup by her or right, not. Right. So, but behind them. It is just this futility. I guess, you know, thinking, sitting nice, safe, and sound in my living room, I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't go near her with with <laughs> fake genitalia, no. let alone suit. my own yes. genitalia, Hazmat right? Hazmat suit, brother. But then again, if you think <laughs> about it, in this particular situation, 
they had no idea whether they were going to die in like five minutes. Right. So mm, maybe. You know? Why not? Why not, right? I mean, live a little. and Tough act into Nacton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! That was now, before granted, John Madden is, had his endorsement. Of course, this is also before uh, the age of Purell. But uh, but again, it's it's one of those situations where you're sitting there wondering, but then you're going to be, okay, yeah, all right, maybe maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. I mean, he could have gotten even way darker and brought heroin on board. Oh, yeah, or, that's or true. any sort of drug use. Right. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot in this, Which, if any. Was there? No. No. Not I, even alcohol use. No. I feel like that's one of the more heartbreaking, you know, like our, the way that we treat our troops when they come back now is disgraceful. So, I mean, I can't imagine in the 80s, in the 70s, when people were coming back from Vietnam and it's like, you know, when PTSD was still called shell shocked and there was no preparation, there was no. You know, these men who thought they were giving our lives for our country, they come back missing limbs and we're like, that's great, but we don't have any jobs for you. I'm sorry. And not just that. It was such an unpopular war that they that people blame the soldiers themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you I know? think a, a line from the movie nails it, too. Uh, I think it's it's Raptor Man talking to Animal Mother and Raptor Man's like, well, we're fighting for freedom, right? And Animal Mother just <laughs> puts the kibosh on that. No, no not really. No, not, not really. really. No. So, so it was sorry. it was really uh, I remember the first time that I saw it I was understood I was probably like 10 or 12 or something like that but I mean I could follow the story I think of all the Kubrick films that I've seen and as I've mentioned before I am not a Kubrick aficionado there's a handful I've never seen and um I'd like to but this is probably the most superficial like straightforward movie it's not as riddled with nuances and symbolism and I mean there's some and the ones that he chooses are great like the the peace sign in the born to kill oh yeah as Rafter man explains and the duality of man and these people you know whether they want to be there whether they have a sense of guilt whether they have a sense of responsibility or obligation um and the just the you different Joker, perspectives right? not yeah, yeah 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 which by the way Whoever came up with the nicknames, whether it's from the novel or not, great job to whoever did mm-hmm. that because they're all just grand slams. For oh, some yeah. reason for some reason I keep on going back to Raptor Man. You you see how Cowboy, Pyle, and Joker, Joker get their nicknames, about, yeah. but when you're actually thrown into the warfare with the troops, you think to yourself, How did these guys well right. eight ball might explain itself yeah. <laughs> as a nickname. Definitely. Oh, because he plays pool? What? Yeah, no. yeah, that's maybe definitely no racial overtones there. But yeah, I remember being when I the first time I saw it, being shocked when I saw the gunny get shot because even though he's kind of been, eh, he's I mean he's certainly been emotionally damaging. You get the idea that that's kind of what he's supposed to do. He's trying to break these men down to a a hollow shell, but he's still got a certain level of integrity and respect because he stays lighthearted. That's why. Because at Christmas time, when he's they're singing Happy Birthday to Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You can give your heart to Jesus, but your ass belongs to the Marines." <laughs> you know, these, there's these loving qualities. That he's he's like the a, like rude, abusive uncle. A little bit, yeah. And, and let's be honest, his dialogue is hysterical as well. Yeah, yeah. And oh he came up God. with almost all of that himself. Yeah. that is unbelievable. It's so strange. Some how of that... it is just oh, it's just it's it, and it's so ingrained in our culture now. You yeah. know, there's all. All kinds of stuff. What is your major malfunction? Yeah. You know, towards the end there. And uh, it just, 
are you a Peter Puffer? <laughs> well, one of the I, I was just scrolling through the IMDb <laughs> trivia, and one of my favorite ones is that he improvised the part about wouldn't even give him a reach around, yeah, and then yeah. Kubrick was like, cut, cut, cut. cut. and yeah. Kubrick didn't know what that was, and he's yeah. like. He figured out what it was yeah. because, yeah. you know, Emery told <laughs> yeah. him, and he's like, okay. Then he filmed the yeah. scene and let him keep that line. Yeah. So it's like, it's brilliant. Who would suck a d- but wouldn't even have the courtesy, the courtesy to give him a reach around? Oh, no, it wasn't. Uh, I was actually browsing an article before we started recording. Somebody kind of nailed it when they said that, you know, Kubrick, when he started filming, didn't know exactly what he wanted. So that's why he kept on filming. So right. he could get exactly what he wanted after he saw it. And I think with Emery... He just nailed it and came up with all these great lines that Kubrick didn't care that he wasn't completely in control, you know? No. For once. For once. But apparently they took 37 takes for the jelly donut scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the jelly donut scene. Vincent D'Onofrio's... Uh, how many times did he have to eat a donut? That's the question. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> well, that's another thing, too. Apparently, um, Vincent D'Onofrio was the one who suggested the slaps and... Kubrick didn't think the initial slaps were realistic enough, so he had to get slapped over and over again oh. by a guy who was a Marine. Right. Which, I mean, that would And you can tell when his hat hurt. flies off. That is some impact. Oh, yeah. yeah. He literally no way slapped to fake that. the hat off of him. <laughs> so I was looking up. I wanted to see if there was other war films that came out in 87, and I came up with this list of films that also came out the same year as Full Metal Jacket. So we have Good Morning Vietnam, as Stu mentioned. The Lost Boys, Adventures in Babysitting, Lethal Weapon, Dirty Dancing, Empire of the Sun, Predator, Princess Bride, Untouchables, RoboCop, Hellraiser, Evil Dead 2, The Running Man, and Less Than Zero. That wow. has got to be one of the most phenomenal years what for Hollywood. What a year Hollywood. to be alive! Oh, not, not, I don't think it's as good as 94. That Good. was my sophomore year in high school. Now, 87 was? 87 was my oh, sophomore I guess, so year jealous. in high school. I guess I never realized that Hellraiser and Evil Dead 2 came out in the same oh, year. Oh, yeah. Hmm. They're worlds oh, apart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I prefer Evil Dead 2, but hey, that's just Well, me. I prefer Hellraiser, but that's weird. Well, I, I, I like prefer Evil Dead 2, but I will say... have enough suffering. I will yeah. say, evil. sorry, Hellraiser 2 is, to me, a bigger improvement. Oh, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. As opposed oh, yeah. to, like, opposed Evil Dead to, and Evil Dead 2. Yeah, 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 yeah Those yeah. are, like, the same movie. Evil Basically, Dead 2 was supposed like to be Evil Dead. Evil Dead yeah. 2 is pretty much the same movie, except they threw more humor into it. A lot more humor And I think they had a bigger budget, because they almost used the full film as funding for the next one. Like, hey, we could make this movie better, and barely anyone saw it. God, I wish Kickstarter would have been around in 1984. No kidding, right? Or maybe I'm glad it wasn't. I don't know. That was yeah, that was a phenomenal year for for movies, obviously. But I and I, I know my friends and I we sat around and watched these films when they finally did come out on you know VHS at that time, and we could recite by memory half of them. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, particularly the Princess Bride. I mean, come on, oh it's yeah, just, it's so you know so many memorable lines came out of those films at this particular time and oh unbelievable well it makes me wonder because i looked at adventures in babysitting that's one of my childhood favorites um and that had vincent d'onofrio for about a minute and a half and full metal jacket which came out two days before adventures in babysitting he was you know the star so it's not quite a cameo it's not quite a bit but it seems like movies that come out now especially the summer blockbusters it's not just look at all these movies that are all released at the same time it's like look at all these movies that are competing with each other absolutely and now trailers are competing with each other and they're giving away and yeah. showing more than trailers ever have Jurassic and, World. <laughs> <laughs> and they treat these box office 
you know numbers like box office scores, which one's better, oh, yeah. which, which one's, one's better. Which I really yeah. don't care to be honest. It's a nice thing yeah. to look at sometimes. Be like, oh wow, this surpassed insert name a movie here, but it's just at the end of the day, it, it says nothing about quality. It's just like with with any art form, you know. Yeah, Nickelback can sell 18 billion albums, but does that mean they're any good? No. Right. No, it's, it's it doesn't. It's something that I could take into consideration. I mean, I do look at, you know, Rotten Tomatoes just to get an idea, especially something like Jurassic World, which had a lot of um, people just ready to hate it. Well, I mean, it was kind of a throwback to the, the, the original a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah. That's for a different day. That's, that's, yeah, away. that's a different day. That's a different day. So Spoiler alert, everyone dies at the end. Yep. Oh, of course. Oh, everyone dies know. at the end. Oh. Okay, Except back, to, back to Full Metal Jacket for a second. Yes. I was I was just thinking of one of the most memorable scenes, probably my favorite scene outside of uh you know, outside of the, the, the bathroom scene with, with Pyle and everybody, was when Sergeant came up to Joker and said, Do you love the uh Virgin Mary? And or do you believe in the Virgin Mary? And he says, "No, sir, I don't." And he gets smacked, you know. And and it was the first time you actually saw one of his troops not just stick up for themselves and stand their ground, but you also saw the respect that he gained from doing that. It's like he went up twelve notches, you know, in in respect it, it, on that level. So much so that that you know. Sergeant gave him the drill sergeant gave him the 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 what was it the Squadron squad leader, leader post you know squad poor, leader post poor snowball, snowball. he lost yeah, his yeah private lost snowball his job. lost his you know. yes sir pretty much I'm I running think, over pretty much I think he I, I think those were his only lines or his only line in the movie was sir yes sir yeah snowball I'm pretty sure every single line in that movie from him was a screamed sir yes sir yeah. But, he did but, a great job, though. Oh, am I yeah, right? He did a wonderful uh, job. Did, how many yeah, nominations yeah. did he get? Yeah, Oscars? None. Yeah. Oh. none. Sorry. <laughs> That's, you're and, so right, though. I mean, I thought that was just one of the most brilliant scenes because you finally saw somebody who had been broken down has been being built up again, and yet you still see who he is as a person. You're, he is not just this automaton that, that, that I think that, you know, Lawrence becomes, you know, this this creature he actually maintains his humanity throughout and his ability to speak his mind and his ability finally to realize the futility of war and the pure ugliness of it when he is forced to kill the sniper at the end yeah i thought it was interesting when joker and cowboy are at camp or they're in the bathroom and they're cleaning and Joker mentions that he thinks that maybe he they were too harsh on pile and he quickly uh, says he wants to uh, put his tube snake in his sister. Like, oh, well, I'm just kidding, bro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> tube snake <laughs> joke. It's it's cool. You know, and he like quickly reverts back to um, another way of thinking. But well, um, at least he has some foresight because he watches Pyle as he cleans his gun and he's talking to it in a very disturbing way. And oh I, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I slide it in. And the action's nice and perfect. And it was almost like he was talking to somebody in a very intimate nature. And that creeped me out. Yeah, that was super creepy. I mean, imagine sitting there watching him do that. You're like, And you get the idea that maybe not the whole time, but for a lot of the time that Joker knows what's going on. And he sees that behavior, but because he's in this system... 
that is trying to dehumanize him, he has to do what Jimmy was talking about. It's just like, oh, it's it's not a big deal. He he, Powell's probably not going to make it anyway. Section eight, you know, section eight. He's he's gonna he's gonna be out of here anyway. <laughs> yeah, Don't yeah. worry Speaking about it. Section eight. <laughs> The poor guy who That's got off awesome. the day before he was supposed to go Section 8. And what was oh, it for, hand, kids? Masturbating 12 oh, right. plus yeah. times hand a day. Job, hand job, rest in peace. And that other guy was like, at <laughs> least 12 times. At least 12 times What was hilarious, day. too, because it's just like, yeah, he, he went yeah. to get his head checked by, you know, the best guy the military has. And you just, like, whipped it out yeah, right there. Started masturbating right started. in front of the psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that would be a way to get to Section 8, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is my rifle. This is my gun. <laughs> he just confused which one was which. I guess. This is for We've fighting. This is I tried for to fun. shoot the I tried to shoot the enemy, but it just didn't work, Sergeant. You're yeah. not using your rifle. You're trying to use your gun. <laughs> so I really like the uh, specific use of songs to be really fun and to kind of allow you to, like, shake it off, like, okay, it's all right, they're playing surf- Surfing Bird. Right. It's going to be okay, which was an boy, awesome boy. montage. Boy, bird is a word. Bird's a word. Bird is a word. It really didn't fit, like, a lot of things Kubrick does. I know. It was disjointed. It was so discordant. It's like, okay, somehow I can find ironic meaning in this. I mean, I would rather... Like Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Or the... The uh, Nancy Sinatra song was awesome. Oh yeah, that These was very boots well are made for walking. Well, even yep. the even the song at the start when the recruits are getting oh, their yeah. heads shaved, um, the the country song. Oh yeah, goodbye love, hello Vietnam, Vietnam something like yeah. that. Yeah, that was yeah that that whole first scene when they're getting their heads shaved is just amazing. Especially the range of looks because some of them, well, <laughs> obviously Pyle is just looking kind of eh, yeah, slow. Thinking. But then the other ones, they look like they're about to cry. A couple of them look legitimately excited. I think a couple of them have, you know, hints of smiles, but a lot of them are just kind of, you can tell like that they, they don't no want to. idea what they're about yeah, to Yeah, it's like, hey, he, I just got yeah. drafted and I don't want to be here, but I guess I'll make do. Yeah. And what? I liked my hair. Well, yeah, exactly. Especially, especially in that time, you know. Just think about hair in that period. It's like, <clears throat> well, it was the people, period of hair. People I mean, liked their know, hair. You know? I mean, young people in particular, and in a lot of you know counterculture, you know, that was the first time that men just let it all hang out, let mm-hmm. their hair grow long. I mean, really long in some cases, and and that was really in in rebellion against you know their their parents and their grandparents and everything else, you know, the 1950s in particular. But and they some and Kubrick managed to somehow not put all along the watchtower in this movie. What I know, that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. That was unfortunate. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but I really like the um, the news briefing scene again, where they're you know they are there's a certain image that they want to convey to these soldiers to keep morale up, to not blatantly lie to them, but they're talking about propaganda, refugees, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> refugees versus evacuees, and right. they're talking to all that fire. And there's like, where's the weenie? After all that firing, there must have been a kill. You know, and and um, Sorry, it was raining. Search and destroy versus sweep and clear. Right. Just, and I'm I'm sure the same thing still goes on. Oh, jeez, yes. I mean, unfortunately, like you said, you know, Kubrick is 
painting a picture for a time and place that we'll never be able to see. And so mm -hmm. y y I can't even pretend to explain or understand or, you know, put myself in these soldiers' shoes. So I basically just have to sit and accept everything that I'm told. You know, they're talking about the hat, the born to kill and the peace sign. And, oh, yeah. And the guy says, follow my orders as you would the word of God. It's interesting. Like, well, maybe I, I, I don't believe the same way right. that you do about God, and maybe that's okay. Yeah. And as you get stands, into the whole yeah, duality as he of stands man. next yeah. to a ditch of massacred civilians Absolutely. that are covered right. in lime. Like that. That was one of those scenes where, um, you know, what you say about Kubrick and what he does with music. He does that with dialogue sometimes. You know, because there's this ditch full of dead people, and this guy, this higher up, is worried about some guy following his orders and his peace button when there are 20 dead people right next to him. But he doesn't view them as people, you know, and uh, the plot behind that was just so underhanded. They're like, yeah, we went around telling them there'd be re-education of sorts. The political re-education. Yeah, and whoever yeah. showed up, we just killed them. Oh, well, it wasn't. Really? It wasn't the Americans who did that. It was the North Vietnamese that did that. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, it that. Yeah, was the North Vietnamese that did that. It okay. wasn't American troops that did that. Absolutely not. They, while that sort of thing probably did occur. That was never publicized the way I mean the way that it was. No, that was they they were talking about how the North Vietnamese uh, political officers were coming in and saying, "Oh no, you know, being very nice to the people. We're just going to bring you out for re-education," which it turned out to be assassination, essentially, or you know, execution, if you will, of these these villagers. Uh. And, uh, so it was it was the Vietnamese killing the Vietnamese at that point. Yeah. So I guess that I, I guess that's. Maybe even yeah, that's that's worse because it just goes to show that in the film that's like a juxtaposition of what the helicopter d gunner was doing. He's mowing them down. They're just innocent bystanders. And then the North Vietnamese were doing the same thing to the South Vietnamese when they're, I mean, obviously they're warring factions, but they're all Vietnamese. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, they were they were split, but it's the same country. It's the same territory. Absolutely, and and. Ideology is all this, and, and politics is all that, that that split that country, and it's still split, and it's always going to be split, you know. And regardless of you know how how wonderful quote unquote our relationship is now with Vietnam, <clears throat> there are there are scars and wounds in that country that go all the way back before the French occupied, mm -hmm. you know, Vietnam, and and honestly, it's just yeah, I I don't know it they. They have started to get an identity for themselves in the past 20 years, but for the longest time, I don't think the Vietnamese people know who they were. Right. And and I'm not speaking for them. I, I don't know. I don't have any Vietnamese friends at this point, and, and I honestly wouldn't know if they would know necessarily because anyone I would know would probably have been in the United States for so long that they just have no, no inkling of what it would be like to live there. But again – I, it just seems to me as though that they, that country has been the the theater for so many horrible things, so many horrible wars, so many so many atrocities against human beings in general, and and it just and it becomes, and and I think that this particular film shows that little, with the with the political prisoners or the political assass or executed uh, people, that's just a snippet, and then the destroyed city. Essentially, and and that whole last scene, it it just it just I can't even imagine what would that be like in our own day to day lives. You know, you wake up in the morning, you don't feel very good. Oh, you got to go to work. Oh, my car needs tires. You know, whatever. You know, and and you know, it just these things that we, you know, first world problems 
No, we don't wake up every morning worrying that if I go down to the grocery store, I'm going to get blown up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you do worry about that, then I guess that there are other things that you need to look into. But, uh, but again, it, we don't have to worry about that. That is not our reality. But there are places in this world and at that particular time where you really did have to worry about that. You could not just wander around willy-nilly, wander, you know, without being very aware of your surroundings. And and again, the Middle East right now, that is very much so the case with IEDs and, and you know, mines buried all over that the, the desert out there and everything else. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. You can't just treat it as a as a oh oh well it's just I'm just going to go down to the pizza parlor and have a slice of pizza you know, uh, and and we're not going to know that as a people we're not going to know that fear necessarily. Now we got a taste of it at one point in time, but that was just a taste. And now, you know, we're we're still we're back right where we were. We're I don't know. I'm sorry. I went off on a political tangent there but it does come back to this movie and it does come back to you know the the feelings that you get when you watch stuff like this because you got to think about it a little more what were the people who actually lived there i know most of them were refugees and not evacuees at Mm -hmm. that point but again what about their lives are they going to go back and pick up and rebuild there most likely not. The jungle villages, was, the their jungle villages was, have been burned down. I right. know. Their jungle is swallowing everything at that point, you know? And I, I just... It, it would be interesting to go back to look at some of these places that, that were from the war and see if the scars are still there or if they have finally been wiped away. They've up, been upping their uh, tourism the last 10 years, too. I guess it's very cheap. They're really trying oh, very to... very much um, so. They're trying to draw a tourist, you know, to, to have more of a tourism sort of based uh, economy because well, for a lot of reasons. My, my youngest brother went there when he was... Um, this was several years ago when he went to uh, spend a year in China. He spent a year there, but he also went to Japan and went to Korea and went to Vietnam as well. And Vietnam was very, very powerful for him because of my, you know, my family's history and and whatnot. And he he said it was a very interesting place to visit and very difficult for him to eat there because the food is really, really not good, according to him. But, you know, I don't know. Y'all's got any mecha days. Yeah. Can I get myself a big Mac, He said he actually got very sick. He got, I mean, you know, his bowels revolted against him there. Yeah, I would have to do some uh, heavy research before I... Oh, uh, geez, yes. Bring bring some snack packs. Something like that. Power bars, power (laughs) bars, power bars, yeah. Do you guys have Lunchables? (laughs) Lunchables? Yes, I'll take five of them, please. All right, so we got about five minutes left here, and Stu's taken off his magic hat, and no rabbit has come out. But 48 movie selections, uh, 46 movie selections 46 have come in. 46 are now left, yes, yes, yes. So, yes. Ben will now choose at random. But I have so the magic excited. hand. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. What could it be? No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. Stop. Ah! What is did that you your, pick, Ben? Is that your what war you face, pick? Jimmy? Ah! I got another good one here, folks. <laughs> There's this uh, small movie that came out in the early 90s. You may not have heard of it. It's called Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Hello, Clarice. I, kinda, I like this because we get to be surprised yeah. and get to go, yay. Actually, the, there are a couple movies that I put in where I'm not going to be really excited. Yeah, I did. I did that, too. But it's for the sake of the show, guys. Oh. Yay, Silence of the Lambs, another good movie. What a great selection. I'm excited, real excited. So excited, so excited. So, um, 
Yeah, fifth, I must said the fifth element. <laughs> no. So, that's, I mean, there's a good one, talking too. about. No. But Jarhead, I don't know if you've ever seen Jarhead, but it's so fascinating. Yeah, it's really good. And they just follow one character all the way through. So, by the end, um, and it's Sam Mendes who did American Beauty mm. and Road okay. to Perdition. Right, so, right. he knows what he's doing, and, and you don't know. Maybe he could die at the end. Maybe he couldn't. It's not a, you know, pretty Hollywood uh, wrapped up present. But right. I just, I appreciate to follow one character and and you do become so um, you just you, you love the guy you want I don't know you kind of appreciate the character unconditionally so yeah for the, well he the, is dreamy huh he is dreamy he is really Jay dreamy Gyllenhaal. even with a bald oh. head I think oh. any man with a bald head is dreamy ah you're creeping me out now, okay All right. you're just jealous alright All right. um that's what it is any Ben do you have something else you'd like to say on Full Metal Jacket or Fifth Element. Probably not the fifth element okay. yet. I mean, we will probably have to do we'll multiple to episodes. There. I didn't put it in the hat. Yeah. I didn't write down fifth element. It's not in the hat for me either. It might be in there for me. I can't remember. <laughs> Drama. Anyway, I believe that this is a still a very, very solid film, but it also has a lot of war films to compete with, for one. And it's also a Kubrick film, so with this film he has to compete with his back catalog and the movies that came out after mm-hmm. this. You know, that being said, despite, you know, my... Somewhat small gripes with the film. I always appreciate Kubrick having the courage to take on larger institutions. You know, with The Shining, uh, there's so much at play there. You know, he's he. You can view it as uh, a commentary of family in some parts. A Clockwork Orange. You know, um, correctional systems, whether it's psychiatric or you know prison. So here he takes on war. He, I think, overall succeeds. And you know, this film like Stu mentioned, is ingrained in pop culture, especially Absolutely. Hartman's lines. Yep. I mean, it's just a wonder that he improvised so much and got so much gold out of it. And I think overall the performances are strong, the characters are memorable, um, but its I, I wouldn't say this is my favorite war film, not my favorite Kubrick film, but it's worth repeat viewings to me just because it is so well done. Yeah, you know, and I agree with Ben in a lot of aspects of what he just said. And and it's definitely not my favorite war film, not by a long shot, not by a long shot at all. Uh, but there are memorable characters, not deep characters, but memorable characters. Sergeant Hartman, Private Pyle, you know, Joker, all three very memorable characters. Animal Mother, a memorable character, kind of a stereotypical you know, character, but again, very memorable characters in their own right. Even the prostitute. I mean, come on, that's that's a stereotypical character too, but also incredibly memorable when it comes down to this particular film. Realistically, this film is not. It doesn't follow you know any sort of reality. I don't believe. I mean, it it it's tried to show its own reality, or it's it, and I think it's the director's view of what the Vietnam War was or might have been. I'm not even sure that he was he was trying to portray the Vietnam War in a realistic way necessarily. Now the the fight battle scenes, the 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 sets and the the you know where they were and everything else were all very realistic looking. They all were look great. The the fact of the matter is though is that did did this sort of thing occur to this this degree or was it really just all you know uh, overblown and and again. Very enjoyable to watch for the pop cultural references, if nothing else. You'll get a kick out of uh, Sergeant Hartman. You'll you'll root for 
your the Joker towards the end, uh, you know, and and you'll you'll hopefully walk away with an understanding that this was not the Vietnam War. This was just a somebody's impression of what the Vietnam War was. So. Yeah, it's a very Kubrick take. Everything that very he does so. has the very Kubrick, much so. yeah. you know, and it's weird the way that he works too. Because <laughs> before Full Metal Jacket, the last thing he directed was seven years before when he did uh, Shining, and then the next thing he did was twelve years later when he did um, Eyes Wide Shut, and that was his last movie. Wow, that is weird. Yeah, that's... you don't really see that anymore. There's these studios no. that you know pump you for more movies, and it was kind of an I feel like I imagined well, in a simpler day when there was more artistic direction that he could you know but anyway so well, he yeah, was it's... so selective too about what he did because he adapted you know so much from novels from you know classic printed literature and you know there's the story about how kubrick was looking to adapt something and he kept on throwing books against the wall and his receptionist heard it but then the noise stopped and the book that he landed on was the shining so it seems like he he was really meticulous in more ways than one, not just directing, but if he was looking to adapt something, you know, he just basically dove in head first, and I, I, I can appreciate that. You know, he didn't want to go for quantity. He wanted to go for quality, which, like you said, Jimmy, is so rare to find in this day and age. It's just like I can understand directors wanting to get paid, but, you know, you're kind of diluting your brand if you just keep on pumping things out and they're not of any quality. Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> and explosion and, and cut. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it looks like next week we are going to be doing The Silence of the Lambs, so that's going to be a good time. And we might even bring some Chianti into the studio. I like just liver. Yes, and with some fava beans and a little Chianti. Creepy. Yes. All right. Well, until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randall. I'm Raftaman. Orbit. <laughs> What's your last name, Ben? Raftaman. <laughs> ben Rafterman. And this is Movie Show Theater. I went everybody's head about the bed. The bed, bed, bed. The bed's a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. The bed is a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. Well, the bed is a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. The bed's a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. Well, the bed is a winner. Well, the bed, bed. The bed's a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. The bed's a winner. Well, the bed, bed, bed. Well, the bed is a winner. Well, the bed, bed. The bed's a winner. Well, don't you know about the bed? Well, everybody knows that the bed is a winner. Well, the bed. Yeah, <laughs>